Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, the official podcast of United Basketball Clinics, and presented by my good friends, Dr. Dish Basketball. I'm your host, Matt Smith. My hope is that as you listen to the podcast, you'll gain knowledge in culture building, leadership, and X's and O's so you can better lead your team. Now, let's grow the game together. I'm excited to interview my friend Kevin Carroll on the podcast. Kevin currently serves as an assistant coach at Lipscomb University under coaching legend Lenny Acuff. Kevin was a successful high school head coach, a Division II head coach, and been an assistant coach at multiple Division I universities. Kevin is passionate about leadership and culture and teaching his men the skill set it takes to be successful in life. I'm excited for this conversation as Kevin has lots of knowledge to offer. I want to welcome Kevin Carroll with Lipscomb Men's Basketball to the podcast. How are you doing, Coach? Doing well, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to come on here. No, I'm excited to have you. Um, we have mutual friends. I remember when you coached in Atlanta at St. Pius watching your teams play. So although we really didn't know each other well then at all, we've become you know, better friends over the years through our coaching uh, paths crossing and, and various things. And, uh, and you're also from this part. I'm in Chattanooga, and you're from close by, Dade County, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, the Wolverines. <laughs> That's right. I tell you, not too many people know that. So you, uh, you must really do your homework. So. Yeah, well, you know, you're all over Wikipedia. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, Kevin, we're going we're gonna to dive into some leadership things and your coaching uh, tree and how you got to where you were. But a lot of people wonder how to get from the high school ranks to the college ranks. And you were a college basketball player and were very successful at St. Pius and took that program to really great heights back then. But you've been to Air Force, UAH. Maryville and St. Louis head coach led them to some very successful seasons. And now you wind up at Lipscomb. So how did that path take place? And was it always your goal to get into college basketball? You know, actually, that's funny because it really never was my goal to get into college basketball. Um, I grew up in a, in a small town uh, where basketball and high school sports was like the epicenter of the county. You know, like uh, everybody came to a game on Friday night. Um, and I had a great experience, had some great coaches, great mentors, uh, had a great experience and, and, uh, always just wanted to be a high school coach and live those Friday night lights, you know? So, um, so it's kind of funny. I, I remember being in ninth grade saying, Hey, I want to be a math teacher and a high school basketball coach. And that's what I did, you know, for, for, uh, six years and <clears throat> towards the, ta- uh, the tail end of that, I just kind of started to feel a. Uh, a longing to want to um, just coach, you know, maybe spend more time on coaching, uh, focus more of my attention on coaching, um, you know, maybe work with more uh, mature players, things of that nature, and just kind of really, really want to push myself to see if I could coach against, you know, at a higher and better level. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember my, after my last year, we, we, had a, we had a really good year at St. Pius. And that, after that year, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to do this. I was about to get married. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I better do it now or it's never going to happen. And I applied for every single job that came out there on the Internet or the NCAA website or the, the – I don't think coaching rumors was around back then. But, you know, anything I could find, I applied for. It must have been over 100 positions or so. And I got one return call. 
Wow. <laughs> One return call for assistant, head, volunteer, everything. You know, and got one return phone call. So that was a humbling experience. Um, you know, thinking, well, hey, I'm I must be this really good coach who's taking this program that was a little bit down and done some good things with it. And now I can't even get like a, a sniff, you know. So uh luckily though, <clears throat> you know, I was I was my, my college coach, the guy that uh recruited me and I played for my first year was Lenny Acuff. Um, played for him at Barry College. He left after my freshman year. Uh, but we've always been close, had great relationships, and and he was mentoring me through the process, trying to help me, you know, get, uh, find positions. And then um, I'd actually kind of given up on it, honestly. And uh, and uh, Coach Acuff called me. I was actually going to a wedding uh, of one of my college teammates, and he called me. Said, "Hey, are you going to be at the wedding?" I said, "Yeah, I'll see you there." He said, "All right, I want to talk to you about something." And his assistant had informed him that day that he was leaving to take a Division One assistant job and and uh we talked through it over the next couple of weeks and you know ended up landing there so the thing i learned from it is really <clears throat> going from high school to college number one this college is a relationship driven profession and business um you're very very rarely do people get jobs without knowing people I, i've had the opportunity to get one of those and, and now that i look back on it it was very very fortunate uh, to have that opportunity, I feel like. So, um, number two, I think is just having some sort of niche to what you do. You know, like for me, it was our style of play. Um, especially on the offensive end, uh, was a little unique at Pius. It's a little bit unique with how coach Acuff's, uh, teams have played and how my teams have played. Um, so I, I felt like that was, you know, kind of uh, my calling card a little bit that that helped me kind of get a foot in the door at other places. Um, and number three, I think that you have to be willing to, uh, in some cases, work for nothing just to get your foot in the door and get an opportunity. You know, if you think about it, this is a profession where not many people leave every year, and a, a lot of people are trying to get in every year. Right. You know, it's the same number of jobs. So. Uh, I know, like for me, just going from being a high school coach to uh, a Division two full-time assistant, I had to cut my salary in half just to make that happen, you know? Wow. And, um, I was making, you know, as, a, as the top assistant in Alabama Huntsville, making $26,000 a year, and I uh, probably couldn't do that, you know, right now, you know, be, to be completely transparent at this point in my career. But uh, luckily I had a, you know, a new wife who helped support our family and make it happen, but those are just, you know, those are things that you have to be willing to do to make that jump. And, and even then, you know, it's a, uh, it can, it's a, it's a, it's a good profession that could be a tough business. Mm. And uh, I was fortunate and was able to kind of advance in my career in some ways, but uh, none of that would have happened without the relationships that I I'd had and in, in particular with, uh, with Coach Aka. No, that's good. So man, a lot of good things there, relationships, a niche and also you got to be willing to make some sacrifices if you want to step up from high school or just even get your foot in the door at the college level so that leads me to what I want to talk about next is coach Acuff what's it like he coached you your freshman year and now you know years later he's the head coach and you're one of his assistants in Nashville what's that like and was your relationship always strong over these years as you as he stayed at UAH and you're at various jobs around the country 
You know, it has. We, we've always just had a special relationship in a lot of ways. And mo- mainly it was because he, he was not only my coach and, and uh, my biggest mentor as a player and then as a professional, but, it, but in life, you know, I mean, um, you know, I grew up in a, I came from a family with divorced parents and, and which happened in high school. And there was just, you know, he came around at a, at a very important time in my life and helped mentor me in ways that, um, you know, a, a father would. Um, and I've always appreciated and been thankful for that. You know, even after he left, we remained close and still, con- you know, communicated. I would, I remember I would go over to Huntsville when I was in, on fall break or something like that and go watch his team's practice while I was in college or, or whatever. And then, you know, I was always seeking out his advice and his mentorship uh, as a young professional. And, um, you know, we've always just had a very close relationship, you know, and, and the thing about coach is obviously he's known for being a great offensive mind and a great coach and, and thing and very knowledgeable, but, but really even more so than his knowledge is his wisdom. It, 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 it is his wisdom. He is a man of, of great, great wisdom. He, he, like in dealing with people and dealing with situations, um, you know, he, he's, you know, he's been coaching now, been a head coach now for 30 years. So there's not many situations that he hasn't been thrust into. And just watching him and the way that he handles certain situations with our team and with our players individually and things of that nature. He just handles them, handles them with like the wisdom of what you would think of, of like, uh, you know, like your, 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 elder, your father or your grandfather or somebody like that who, who's, who's been around the block, you know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, you know, one of his famous sayings is uh, you know, there's two types of people, those who are humble and those who will be, and I can guarantee you that has been the case with me. And I'm sure that over time that's been the case with him as well. But it's, it's, it's invoked a lot of wisdom for him to be able to share and pay forward to those who've, who've worked and played under him. No, that's good. And, and again, Coach Acuff spoke at one of my very first clinics in Chattanooga. And he was just phenomenal. Not Again, not just his X's and O's and his offensive mind, but just the nuggets of wisdom he gave throughout the entire session. He just felt like he – is uh, just on a different level with that. A lot of a lot of guys know the Rexes and O's, but he just had a level of communication that was very impressive. Um, so to get into the leadership portion of this, when you're at the high school level to the co- now in college, you mentioned earlier college is pretty much all about relationships. As you as a guy listening who's a high school coach, what advice would you give to him or her? about leading a high school program and then we'll transition into uh, leading in uh, a college program. Yeah. You know, I think there there's coaching in high school and coaching in college or, or leading a, a program in both. There, there's, there's things that are the same things that are, that are similar and things that are different. Okay. The same is I think it is your purpose and your why that doesn't change if you're a high school coach or you're a college coach. Right. Uh, your intent for why you do what you do does not change. Um, your your coaching style, you know, uh, doesn't really change a lot. Like in terms of like how you go about doing things. Like I, you know, the way I was doing things at St. Pius wasn't really too different from the way I was doing things um, as the head coach at Maryville for seven years in St. Louis. Um, 
the things that are similar are the way that you manage people and players. Um, obviously, with older players comes different things. Younger players, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was, I, 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 you know, the good thing about high school was I felt like I had a lot more of an impact on who the who my players developed into as people. Uh, as college, when they're in college, they're already their ways are a little bit more and their habits are already formed a little bit more and set a little bit more. So you're helping redirect some of that as opposed to develop it, if you will. Um, you know, and, uh, but, but the, the other ways is similar. I think, um, I think the coaching is similar. Uh, I didn't change my style of play much, but it had to evolve a lot because of the, the greater detail of the game of the preparation, of the scouting, of the different, uh, you know, the different things you would see, things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a, when I coached at, in, at Maryville, we were in the, a league called the Great Lakes Valley Conference, which is uh, one of the top Division II leagues in the country. And it, it wouldn't be abnormal for somewhere between five and seven teams to be ranked in our conference, to be ranked in the top 25 in the country that year and one or two teams to be ranked number one in the country at some point in the year, and at least one team to win a national championship. Um, so that pushed me and made me a better coach because I was coaching some phenomenal coaches who each had different ways to go about doing things. Um, I think the ways that coaching in high school is different than coaching – or coaching college, rather, is different than coaching in high school, which I didn't really – have an inkling of when I was coaching in high school is just that is uh, like, I, I, I thought, you know, I would be spending 95% of my time just thinking about my team and coaching and X's and O's and, you know, recruiting stuff like that. What I didn't realize is that it was the, the business aspect of it. Like, I mean, when you're the head coach and, and the same way in college, in high school now, especially a lot of places, but I mean, you're the CEO of a small company. Right. I I was not only, and I I don't know if I was thinking like that as much when I was younger in my career as a high school coach, but you know, I I was not only the basketball coach, but I was the, uh, I I joked that I used to have uh, on my, on my, uh, on my tag that I should have said, uh, you know, or business card, it should have said uh, uh, assistant alumni relations director, uh, assistant admissions director, uh, director, assistant director of development. You know, because I was, you're spending an inordinate, you know, probably 75 to 80% of your time doing those things, you know, recruiting, alumni relations, raising money, um, friend raising, um, things in the community. I mean, all those things, um, you know, it, it was a breath of fresh air when I finally got like 15 minutes to sit down and think about what we were doing for practice that day, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and uh, so th- there are some strengths and differences, I think, in terms of your culture, which I think is what you asked me at the beginning. I don't know if there's – I think we're all – like you said, like I said, we're all running like a small organization. Um, so I think we all should go about our culture the same way. If I went back to coaching high school tomorrow, I don't know if I would change the way that I go about creating a healthy organization any different in college that I do in high school. There's just different, different uh, things that are on that uh, on your to-do list, I guess, in college. 
right? So I, a lot of high school guys were thinking, man, I can get to college and it's basketball 100% of the time, 24-7, and it's yeah. just not that way. I would say that as a high, as a college assistant coach, and I, I remember, so when I went to Alabama Huntsville from St. Pius, a guy named Mark Price, who is now the head coach at Baylor School in Chattanooga, um, he was an assistant at Alabama Huntsville under Furman. He was at Belmont. He was a head coach at a Division II school in Arkansas. But I followed him, and I remember talking to him about it, and he was just like, you know, Kevin, hey, co- coaching is going to be about 15% of what you actually do, you know? And I would say that coaching is about 10% of what a head coach does, you know? It's, wow. It's uh, I'm because of all the other things that you have to deal with. Uh, on You're a, a public relations machine, right? You really, I mean, you really are. I mean, like you think about like, a, you know, let's say you're, let's say you're running a software company and you're the CEO of the software company. You're not sitting there spending 90% of your time developing software, you know, right. If you're the CEO, you're doing all the other things that uh, promote the company and, and make sure that the company runs, uh, you know, like a well-oiled machine, you're managing people, um, you know, there's just a lot of other things and that's, that's kind of what it's like being a, a college head coach as well. And, and you know what, I mean, a lot of high school coaches are doing that now as well. I mean, you think about the, 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 uh, the depth of all that goes on into running a, especially some of the larger high school. Oh yeah. State now, you know, it's, it's uh, completely different. Absolutely. Well, you talked about culture and you mentioned if you went back to high school tomorrow, you would still establish culture the same, the same way with a college or a high school group. What are some of your core beliefs or some people call them pillars that you like to establish when leading young men, whether high school or college? Yeah. Uh, our, my core beliefs are the same core beliefs that I kind of hold for myself. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what those are. Then I'm going to go into why those are, core, you know, or my core beliefs or my team's core beliefs is, is, uh, is being honest, driven and humble are the three things. Um, I think that, uh, what, like when I was the head coach at Maryville, our whole thing was we wanted you to understand how to live your legacy. And what I meant by that, that catchphrase, what that meant was, is that was the paying forward of knowledge, information, and experiences to, you know, that you've gathered from other people in your life, your mentors in your life, and you're paying that forward to other people on down the line. So think of it kind of like a chain. All right, on the left-hand side of that chain, that's, uh, that's Lenny, for me, that's, that's Lenny Acuff, that's Gene Durden, that's Herb Horton. That's uh, Todd Brooks. That's, that's people that, you know, that coached me, that were mentors in my life, that that moved me forward in life because of the things I learned from them, you know, and set me on the path that I'm on today. Not, not just as a professional, but in terms of what I value in life. And, you know, our job as coaches is to take that and then pass that down one link of the chain to our players and ultimately what you're hoping to do is build a legacy of this, this never ending legacy or this never ending chain of people continuing to pay forward this not these knowledges and experiences that, that we're just kind of a, a cog in the wheel of, you know, it's not my legacy. It's not coach Acuff's legacy because he learns a lot of his information and knowledge and wisdom from other people, but it's just that continual chain of paying that forward. And, and, and the goal you know, is that when we all, you know, we're all going to have a funeral one day. And the goal one day is that we all have a full funeral because when you have a full funeral, what that means is, is that you made a difference in people's lives. 
no one comes to your funeral because of how much money you made or, or how high of a level you coached at or how many games you won or how many social media followers you have. People come to your funeral because you made a difference in their life. And that's good. I think, I think the whole goal is to help uh, teach people how to have a full funeral, if that makes sense. So the way, so that was the process was just live your legacy or the, the way that I kind of try to live my life is this live your legacy philosophy. And, and in order to create that, you have to have three things. You have to have an atmosphere of accountability. You've got to be able to, understand how to create success and you've got to be able to create, you got to have an atmosphere of servanthood. Okay. Um, And in order to have accountability, you've got to be able to build relationships. Okay. You can't have accountability without relationships. Otherwise it just feels like you're just yelling at someone. Think about a coach or a person or a boss you've had where they've tried to hold you accountable and you didn't feel like, you had any sort of relationship with them and you're just, all you're doing is just hearing their words come out of their mouth and their mouth open. You know, it, it doesn't mean anything to you and you don't have any relationships without trust. Okay. And you can't build trust without honesty. So that's why honesty is a core value because mm-hmm. honesty in the end leads to accountability. Okay. If that makes sense. Cause yeah, honesty, good. honesty leads to trust. Trust leads to relationships and relationships leads to accountability. Uh, you can't have, you know, I talked about you got to have success. You, you can't, you know, your words and your message is only as powerful as your, as your, as your success is. And that's unfortunate. We can, all, we can be doing all the right things. And, all, you know, a lot of us, including myself at times, have felt like I'm trying to do everything I can for players and people and trying to grow people. But people don't, people don't pay as much attention to you if you're not successful. That's just the reality of it, you know. So, you know, you create success through your development. You create you, your development comes from your commitment and your commitment stems from being driven. So that's why being driven is one of the core values because it leads to your commitment, which leads to your development, which eventually leads to success. Um, unity. Um, uh, unity is, uh, is created from you being a servant. All right. You being a servant comes from you being selfless. You can't be a servant unless you're selfless and you can't be selfless unless you're first humbled. So humility leads to selflessness, which leads to servanthood, which leads to unity. So that's what, so by being honest, driven and humble, it leads to you accountability, success, and unity. Accountability, success, and unity allow you to live your legacy. So I know that's a, I know that's kind of, (laughs) if you're just listening to it and trying to write it down or whatever, that sounds a little, uh, Sounds like a lot, but like we used to, we kind of have like this flow chart of our culture and, and that, like I said, that I try to live by every day and that our program stood by and that we, we tried to help make them sure they understood that and lived by that. No, that's really good. So when you're building this culture and discussing it with your team, how do you go about doing more than just words on a locker room or on a t-shirt? Like, do you just, are you constantly talking about it? Are you reminding them? Because at the high school level, I'll just be honest with you, it could take a couple of years even for some of these to sink within a kid. Maybe yeah. at the college level it's the same way, but maybe not because they're a little more mature. So how patient are you with, I don't want to say, I don't like the term buying mm-hmm. in. How patient are you as culture is kind of, gra- or players kind of grasping 
what the culture is and what it means and how, as a coach, do you really um, develop that within them? Here's what, you know, like when I was coaching at, when I was coaching Maryville, it, it was, we, we wanted four and five year guys in our program for the most part. And here's why is because I think when it comes to culture, there's three things that happen, three phases. You, you, you have to learn it. Number one. And that's a, a number two, you have to, you have to live it. Okay. You have to learn how to live it. And then three, you have to leave it. In other words, you know, you're, you're leaving, you're living, you're living your legacy. You're leaving it for someone else. Okay. The learning it part that, that is a, a period of time, in my opinion, of one to two years, you know, like you're, like you're hearing it and their words on a, you know, and I'm not, I'm not big on words on a wall like right. that. You know, I'm not like, I, and I'll tell you a little bit more like how we go about establishing that. But like, uh, that's my biggest pet peeve with the word culture is that people think, oh, if I just write these words on a wall and we never ever talk about them and no one even knows about them, you know, whatever that we have a culture, that's, that's not a culture. Um, you know, and the, the way that you, here's, here's what like healthy organizations do and successful organizations do is say, number one, they create a vision. Number two, they create clarity around that vision. Number three, they over communicate that clarity on a daily basis ad nauseum. Okay. Like when you're the head coach, you're not uh you're not this just the CEO, you're the CRO, you're the chief reminding officer. Yeah. You've got to constantly remind them of what of what you're talking about. And number four, and most importantly, in my opinion, is you have to reinforce that clarity in the decisions that you make. Okay. So let me let me go back and talk about those a little bit. So like when you, you, you know, you create your vision, you know, for us, it was, you live your legacy. I've kind of talked about that. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of that comes, you know, that vision, what you need to do is you just send that around, you know, what you think you can be the best in the world at. Um, you know, like if I, if you're the head coach at Gordon Lee high school, you don't have every advantage that maybe, uh, you know, a, a Wheeler, a Norcross, uh, you know, a, a McEachern, you know, whatever has, but right. there's probably something that in your competition that you face that there's probably something that you can be the best at, you know, and it's up to you to kind of figure out what that is and sell out to that. Um, you know, no, no. So you got to create that vision. Number one, number two, create that clarity. I think the way you create clarity is I think you have to be able to answer six questions about your organization. Number one, why do we exist? Number two, what do we do? Number three, how do we behave or what are our core values? Number four, how will we succeed? Five, what is the most important thing in your program? And number six, who does what? Okay. Um, and I think that if you can answer, if you can answer all six of those questions, then you'll have a very strong understanding of what your culture is and what your values are. And more so if, if the players, if the coaches, if the fans, if the administration, if the people surrounding your program can, under, can answer those questions, then you've got something very special. Um, now, it's one thing to be able to answer those. The third thing is just you've got to be able to over-communicate that on a daily basis. I mean, the, the way that we would start practice every day and this may sound a little a little hardcore, but I remember. Um, let me back up here. I remember after one of my years of coaching, uh, I talked to our guys. And I was kind of like, "Hey, 
you know, give me some feedback, give me some thoughts on our culture, whatever, da, da, da. And they said, well, coach, I, we really don't feel like you talk about it quite enough. You know, you probably think you talk about it a lot, but we don't, you know, we don't feel like you talk about it enough. And I was like, you know what, probably right. And I knew our culture. I knew what I wanted to stand for. I knew what was important. But I don't think, you know, I don't think they did because I was not that CRO yet. You know, I was not that chief reminding officer yet. So one thing we did, we'd start practice or a film session or anytime we met, uh, I would come in and we would say, and we, we had like these series of uh, kind of, I don't know, chants the right word, but I would, I would say, okay, hey, I come in and say, uh, we are, and they would say Maryville. I would say, uh, we exist too, and they would say, live your legacy. And I would say, we value and they would say, we, I said, we would, we value, and they would say, honest, driven, humble. And then what I would do is, like, I would take two players or three players that day before practice, and I would say, hey, you know, uh, Matt, why is it important to be honest? And if Matt, if you could say, well, it's important to be honest because honesty leads to trust, and trust leads to relationships, and relationships leads to accountability, then you got out of one sprint that day, you know? Um, you know, uh, Johnny, why is it important to be driven? Well, it's important to be driven because driven, if you're driven, it leads to you being committed. You being committed leads to your development and your development leads to your success. You know, then you got to want to sprint that day. So all in all, that took maybe less than a minute. Right. But it was just a way, and, and, and I'll be honest, there were probably some guys that kind of rolled their eyes about it and, and got tired of hearing it or whatever. But it, it's funny to this day, I'll get texts from our guys like I'll get like a Snapchat or something with uh, them making some funny face and the words honest, driven, humble beneath it. You know what I'm saying? Um, it stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, it's, we'll, we, you know, I'll be talking to former players and they'll still be referenced to this day. And it, it was more than words. It, it was, and it was more than, you know, basketball it, it right. was a way to live your life. You know, I remember talking to one player and he's like, He's talking about how, like, the things that we've learned in, in our program have helped him in class. And he's like, the other day, I, I, was, I didn't study very hard for his test coach. And perfectly honest, I wanted to cheat on it. And I just thought about all, all the stuff we talked about with honesty and how we deal with each other and how we don't, we don't lie to each other and things like that. And that carried over into another part of my life other than just our relationship with each other or our, or our relationship with the team or with, uh, with basketball, you know? And hopefully that, that honesty will carry over into their relationship with their wife one day or the relationship with their, their employees or their children or, or whatever, you know, that drive, that being driven will carry over into other aspects of their life. That humility will carry over and, and become a, a superpower in what they're doing. Um, you know, those are, those are, those, um, you know, what you're trying to do is over communicate that clarity. The last thing you have to do. Uh, so I talked about creating a vision, creating clarity over communicating, over communicating that clarity. And the last thing you have to do is just reinforce it. And the most important thing is reinforce that through your decision-making that you make. And, and that's why you have clarity is it is number one, so that it, it limits the number of decisions you have to make on a daily basis. Because if you're, if you're, if you really sell out to your culture, the the answers to those those questions the answer to your culture will will decide you know majority of the questions that you have brought to you on a daily basis you know um so uh so reinforcing those so like in terms of you know hiring staff 
uh, when I hired staff, I couldn't, I, I couldn't sit there and preach. They're going to be honest, driven and humble. And then bring some guy who walks in with three state champion or national championship rings on his fingers and is flaunting them or talks about how much he had, how much he had, how much he had uh, developed this player or, or recruited this player or, or, you know, whatever, right? We couldn't bring on a guy who wasn't going to be honest with the players and direct with the players and, and, and be, be honest with them. We, we couldn't bring on a guy who wasn't going to, you know, be driven to be uh, the most successful coach that he could, because right. if I'm saying these things to you every day and then I'm hiring someone or bringing someone to our, in our, in our program, who's not those things. And all of a sudden you lose equity and all those things that you're talking about and preaching every day. Uh, you know, I'll give you a, a good example um, in terms of recruiting. I remember one year we had uh, we were trying to sign a point guard and we brought two kids in um, on a recruiting visit on consecutive weekends. And uh, I, after the second weekend on that following Monday, I brought the kids in and after a workout and I sat them down with the bleachers and I said, oh, hey, all right, we had we have both these two kids in. Uh, I want to get your guys thoughts on who you thought we should. We've offered them both. I want you to think about I want you to give me advice on who you think we should really go after. And the first, the first kid was a really good player, and he was uh, probably a little bit more had a had a, a lot more recruitment to him. Um, you know, just had more buzz about him, had more juice about him. He was more well known. He was very talented, uh, probably more talented than the second kid, but he just wasn't. He he was missing some things in regards to our, our program, but he was a good player. The second kid was a bullseye, probably not quite as good, of, not as talented of a player. In terms of foot speed, you know how high he could jump, things of that nature, but was a really good player as well. But was a bullseye for our culture. And I didn't say any of this to the guys, but I said, "Hey, you know, give me some feedback on who you think we should really push, you know, push to commit." And like to a to a man, they all said, "You know, coach, hey, listen, the other guy's a little bit better, to be perfectly honest." But this other guy is going to do better. He's going to be a better player in our environment, in our culture. And, and that was what I was thinking all along, too. And I thought that they – and I think they had knew, known me well enough and, and, and had bought into our culture well enough. That I thought they would say something like that. But more so, it was a way for me to reinforce to them what our values are and that we make decisions based on those values and we don't – shy away from that um and so that that's just an example of how you reinforce your clarity through your decision making and through your processes with your with your team i respect my friends at dr dish as much as anyone in the game thankfully they've come on board to sponsor our podcast and offer our listeners an exclusive dr dish discount when you mention this podcast what makes the dr dish so unique first is the best and most user-friendly shooting machine on the market period Second, your players can use custom training workouts and receive real-time feedback as they train. And if you have one of those other shooting machines sitting in the corner collecting dust, you can trade it in for up to a $1,500 discount on a new Dr. Dish. Yes, $1,500 off a new Dr. Dish. Remember, mention this podcast and take advantage of your discount today. No, that was really good. A lot, a lot of things we could dive into, but one thing from the very beginning, you mentioned how we're kind of like the the chain and the guy to your right is who influenced you. And you're, it, I tell people all the time, and you know this guy, Tony Duckworth. 
Mm-hmm. Tony Duckworth was my eighth grade coach in <laughs> Macon, Georgia in 1992. Yeah. He developed I, I my love. For, huh? I don't think he, I knew that. Did I? Yeah. So yeah. I know that Tony hired you at Maryville, but not to dive into all that, but to say, if it wasn't for my eighth grade coach, and I just mentioned his name because you know him, I wouldn't be coaching and teaching high school today. Yeah. So one person started that passion and it kind of led to where by falling in love with coaching and basketball and sports and where I am, you know, at 41 years old. So the thing, the point is you never know the impact you can make. Some of your St. Pius guys, the current coach now is a former player of yours. So like the, the legacy that we can leave the, the pay it forward mentality, we don't know where that's going to end. And that's, that's just really something that we as middle school, high school, college assistant coaches to take that serious because we have a great impact on these players' lives. And sometimes we're the, uh, a, a parent figure, a father figure for these kids when they're going through a tough time. So you said a lot of great things that made me think back to people who'd influenced me. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, Tony is someone we have in common, but his passion kind of sparked that fire within me. And, and uh, I love what you talked about, you know, learn it, live it, leave it, because a lot of coaches do the learn it part and some of the, the live it, but when the guys graduate, they're not, you know, they're not setting the standard, you know? Um, so I think that's very important to make sure you take the culture to the full extent uh, with that. So man, thanks for diving into all those details and, I've got all these notes down. Uh, it looks like a old English diagram here, but no, that that's really, really good stuff. So who were some of your main influences who influenced you? You mentioned, I know Gene Durden at Buford, mm-hmm. um, you know, but were these uh, all coaches or other people that were part of your life in other ways? Yeah. You know, uh, I think uh, early on, a majority of them, you know, were coaches. Um, you know, I just always, you know, grew up playing sports and, you know, the, I'm seeing it now. I've got a, a son who just turned 11 on Sunday and a seven-year-old son. And, you know, they listen to their coaches a lot more than they listen to me, you know. Right. So, um, so the impact, I think, that you have, you, you kind of mentioned it or referenced it earlier. It's just you never really know, I think, the kind of impact that you have until later on a lot of times. Uh, as a coach. And so I think, uh, you know, growing up, I, I had, I had three different high school coaches uh, in high school and had two college coaches. So I had a lot to information to glean from, but, but Gene Durden was actually the high school coach, the girls, the girls high school coach the entire time that I was the, at, uh, at Dade County high school. And he, he just, uh, you know, he took me under his wing and kind of helped bridge the gap between all those different coaching changes. And he would, you know, teach me a lot of lessons and he would take me to go play pickup ball with him in the, in the, uh, the YMCA's in downtown Chattanooga somewhere or in the, you know, I mean, he just, he invested a lot of time and effort into me as a person. And, and I learned a lot from coaching by just watching him coach his teams. You know, Um, he's obviously, he's not, he's not one of the best, you know, girls coaches in the state of Georgia. He, he's one of the best coaches in the country. Absolutely. You know, I'll say that right now. I mean, he's just a phenomenal and he's not, and he's a better, um, he's a better leader of people and mentor of people than he is a cut than he is a basketball coach. 
you know. And uh, so I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to, to sit on a stage for four years and watch this guy work his craft and learn a lot from him. And then more so gain love and perspective from him that I, did, I wasn't able to get on a consistent basis from, from my high school coaches because I had three of them, you know. Right. Um, a guy named Herb Horton was my high school coach for the last two years. Um, and he was very similar to, to Gene. Um, still talk to you know still talk to him this day he's he's coaching here in Tennessee about an hour down the road now um, you know and then when I got to uh, you know then when I got to, to college you know coach Akoff was just somebody that uh, that uh, you know I learned a lot from and just really respected the way that he did things I, I remember sitting in a in a in the locker room my freshman year and our, our team is sitting in there a couple of my teammates and we're saying we're saying to ourselves I don't, we don't know what it is about this guy, but for whatever reason, we just want, we want to run through a wall for him. And that he's still that to this day to our guys. You know, like they just – he gives you such uh, confidence in yourself. He has that ability about him that, that no other coach that I've been around has. And uh, guys just really want to play hard for him. Uh, when I got into to coaching, I started out – I was at uh, Chattahoochee High School for a guy named Duke Mullis, who was a very, very successful coach. And – and uh, phenomenal offensive mind. Um, learned a lot from him. We had a really good team. Uh, can't really – it'd be another podcast for me to tell you about how I ended up at St. Pius, but I worked for a guy named Lou LaFay there. And uh, I've never been around anyone who has gotten as much out of the talent that they had that he does. Um, just to, I mean, I learned a tremendous amount, a lot of stuff that I still carry with me today. Uh, it, working with him for two years. And then when he moved on, I was able to get the head coaching job there. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, all the guys that I've worked for, I mean, you know, Jeff Reynolds at, at the Air Force Academy, Dan Earl at VMI is a phenomenal coach. Um, you know, just I've been very, very blessed to be around some, some really great minds and even better people. No, that's that's really good. And, and again, you mentioned some of those guys, but I agree with with you about Coach Durden. I think he's one of the best in the country. Not girls basketball coach, just coach. Period. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal in his leadership skills and his way, his ability to to motivate players and motivate anyone around him is uh, it's a gift. It it truly is. Yeah. He, he's a special person. Um, go ahead. I'm saying, and I think a characteristic of, of Gene, of Coach, of, of Coach Acuff, of Coach Durden, of, of all the, the coaches we're talking about, is they're just like they're never satisfied. They're lifelong learners. You know, like it, what what we're doing uh, at Lipscomb now is light years different than what we were doing at UAH when I worked for Coach Acuff 13, 14 years ago, whatever it was. Now, you know what what Gene Durden's doing now is light years ahead of what he was doing when he was at Dade County High School. He, he's, you know, the guys like that are master teachers and they're perfecting their craft and they're, they're continually growing and, and learning and, and humble enough to, to understand that, that the older they get, the less they know, you know. And that's, um, it's been a pleasure having some great mentors like the ones I've had. No, that, that's really good. And, and I'm a, and, um, your players who played for you are probably saying the same things about you because you're, you know, who, who's the coach at St. Pius? His name slips my mind right now. Aaron Parr. Aaron right. Parr. And so he, he, is he was a great player good, for you. 
He was. He's pro- we're probably sitting here talking right now because of him, because uh, him and his teammates. I actually was on a Zoom call with him and a couple of his teammates uh, a week or two ago. And, um, you know, Aaron has done a phenomenal job. He, he's going to yes. take that thing to level, that program to levels that I didn't think was possible. I mean, it's just a, couldn't be more proud of him. And, and I, more so, I couldn't be more proud. And, and not just me. He, he had a really good college coach and Mitch Cole. Uh, who's now at Barry College now, was at Birmingham Southern, then when Aaron played for him there. But, I mean, like, he, he's he's an example of that live your legacy um, culture we're talking about. Like, he, it, he's not just taking the off, you know, you know, thoughts from the offense or the defense or the X's and O's or whatever from myself or Coach Cole. He he's taken all the life lessons and all the things that he's learned, those those that knowledge, those experiences, and he's paying those forward to his teammate to his players, and he's he's asking them to do the same thing that we asked of him, and that's to pay that forward to other people. No, that's good, and and as we're talking about culture, and you probably experienced some of this. What are some of the growing pains a coach or a program may have as a new coach comes in and establishing the culture? Because you've taken over several programs, and let's say there's a first-year coach listening to this podcast. What are some? It's not. It's not easy. There, it can be at times, but there, there's some bumps in the road for sure. Yeah, I think you know the easy thing to say is is get the right people on the bus. Um, the hard part about that is is I think that when you are a coach and you define why – you have to define why you're coaching. And obviously, you probably get a little bit of a sense that, like, my value, my reason for coaching is to be a transformational coach, to, to build an army of difference makers in the lives of others, to teach people how to have a full funeral. So it, it, there's a balance there between, hey, this kid's not a really good fit for what we do or how we do it or what I'm about, but if I just – throw him to the curb or whatever, uh, he may never learn some of those lessons, you know? Um, so that's a little bit, you know, getting just the whole, getting the people, the right people on the bus is probably a little bit, uh, harder than, than it, a little bit harder said than done, you know, but I do think that that's what has to happen. I mean, it, you, you've got to, you've got to put a line in the sand and say, Hey, this is what we value. This is how right. we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. And you've got to be on board with that. And if you're not on board with that, there's nothing wrong with that. But and maybe there's a place for you that's a better fit where you can be a better fit. And you can be more, you know, uh, effective. Yeah. Um, or, or Because I'm just a big believer in fit, in, fi- in that I'm a big believer that some people are going to be a lot better coach for for you than they are for the guy at Dade County or the, the guy at Pepperell or the guy at Coosa or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just because of different cultures, uh, players, kids, people, employees, they're, gonna, they're going to uh, respond differently and perform differently, you know? So I think it's about handling all those things with love and with care and, and understanding that we're just trying to help all of our players and but sometimes that means helping them find the best place for them that's a better fit for them no and i think that goes back to when you're talking about being honest having these honest conversations that can be difficult but you'd rather you know be saved by criticism than ruined by praise as don meyer said and sometimes you have to have that conversation with a kid and when you talk about getting the right people on the bus I know some high school coaches are thinking, man, that's hard at the high school level because you can recruit who you want at Lipscomb or Maryville. Right. But the high school level, was, 
school who's got two, three, four hundred kids, you know, yeah. um, it's a little harder. But you still have to have the standard and absolutely don't lower the standard regardless of the kid's athletic ability. Yeah. And, and I would say it, it definitely is easier when you're a college coach because I, if I don't like your personality or if I don't think you're a fit for a culture, I don't have to recruit you, you know. But what I would, I guess, my, my uh, argument to that would be when you're a high school coach, you also have the ability to get to them as third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders to help mold them into that culture and help, you know, build that into them. And over several, several years, I mean, you can't tell me if, if a kid doesn't hear what's valuable to you for every day for their life for six years that they're not going to take some of that on, you know? No, I agree. And I also agree what you said about a certain player may be better fit for another coach. I remember interviewing for a job one time and even in the job interview, they're like, man, the best player in the school is a real head case. Well, they didn't name the name or anything, thankfully. So I figured out who they were talking about, but he and I had a great relationship. He had a phenomenal year. We had a couple of bumps in the roads, but they were minor. They were really minor. And I'm, yeah. I was thinking, man, this is what we do. We judge these kids a year out. Like, man, he's going to be hard. Right. This was the administration. And yeah. thankfully, I didn't buy into that. And we had a great relationship. And, you know, I didn't uh, kind of prophesy how, how he's going to, how, how he or she's going to behave. So that, that's really good. Um, yeah, I think that fitting into a culture doesn't mean you're perfect. You have to be perfect. No. I think fitting into a culture means do you have the capacity to take the things that are important to us and to grow those to where those can eventually be your strength one day? You know? Um, you know, not every kid that I ever coached or recruited or whatever was the most humble kid when I first met him, you know, but there's a, an evaluation process. You go through there and you go say, you say, okay, hey, if I do right by this, this guy, if I coach him the right way and I love him the right way and I t mentor him the right way, can he become this? And, and I think that's what you have to evaluate. It's not where they are. It's where you want, it's where can you, can you get them? Okay, Kevin, you've shared a lot with us about your culture, your foundations, the vision, but through all your experience, what are some ways in which you've grown as a leader? Because I know that you're not the man today, you know, that you were 10 years ago. So what are some things that you've grown or some areas which you've grown as, as a leader? Yeah, I, th I think I've grown a lot, Matt, honestly, mostly through failure. Um, you know, uh, but I think the thing that, uh, I think I've, I've grown a lot and learned in terms of how to like manage people. Um, and I think that that comes from number one, learning to become more vulnerable with your people. I, I think vulnerability is a real superpower and that's not something I really understood. Um, I, I think humility and vulnerability are two different things. I think I've, I think I've always been a pretty humble guy, but I don't know if I've always been as vulnerable of a guy, you know, think when you're younger you feel like if you don't have the answers people are going to think that you're not worthy uh i think that if you're if you make a mistake you don't want your you, you don't want your players to know because you're afraid they're gonna lose confidence in you um and what i've come to find is that it's really it's the opposite is that really when you prove that you're vulnerable and you get vulnerable with your team it gives them permission to trust you and I that agree. that trust like I said, it goes back into, you know, building relationships with them. Uh, it allows, it allows them to, uh, it allows you to coach them, to, to love them, to, to mentor them, you know? And, um, 
I think that's something that I, that I learned, you know, and I think that, um, you know, a couple other things I've learned to listen more and to be slower to speak. Um, I've learned to how to empower, um, instead of instruct. Um, I think I've learned to, to give a lot more grace, uh, yeah. and a lot less, uh, punishment, you know, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're dealing with, with humans, you know, we're dealing with people. Uh, and I just think back to like how I was as a freshman in college and what the values that kind of made me want to play for coach Aka. And I tried to, you know, I learned through a lot of failure, my own personal failures that I had to become a lot more like that as well. Um, you know, I think, um, some other things that, uh, one of the biggest things I, I learned as well is just that I stopped worrying so much about what the school board says, said, um, you know, I, I was so, you know, it's funny. I'd go back after games and I'd be like, man, you know, we, we lost that game and, uh, we, we played horrible and I go back and watch the film and I'd be like, man, you know what? We got some really good shots there. We just didn't make them tonight. Or man, we really guarded those guys really well or, and they just made some tough shots or, or you know what, those, the guys carried out the game plan to a T. It was just I made some poor errors in judgment um, in the game plan, you know. Um, and uh, I think what I've learned is I evaluate myself now on three things. Uh, number one, did our players do what I was trying to coach them to do on a daily basis? After every practice, after every game, did they try to do what I was trying to coach them to do? Number two, uh, did they create memories? You know, did they, when it's all said and done, did they create positive memories? Did they, did they have a love for their institution? Did they, did they have a love for their institution? Did they have a love for the program? You know, and third and most importantly is, did they learn that, that culture piece? Did they learn how to live your legacy? Are they equipped now to go pay forward all these four years or however many years of information, knowledge, and experiences that they've gathered that have helped develop them. And now are they equipped to go out and pay those forward to the people that they're going to go on and mentor and, and lead? No, something that jumped out to me as you were talking there, if you could dive into a little more is, can you talk about empower versus instruct or empower over instruct and exactly what you mean by that? And, uh, how, how that carries over to the locker room, to practice, and so on? Yeah, I, th I think a couple of things. I think, number one, I just – I gave a lot more onus to our guys the longer I was a head coach. You know, I let them make a lot more decisions. Um, I let them – I felt like if I wasn't sure, I was going to ask them. You know, hey, uh, you know, we, we've got this bus trip. There's two places that we can eat. Where do you want to eat? You know, we've right. got, uh, hey, come out of a timeout here. What, what are you guys feeling on uh, defense here, man or zone? You know, I mean, um, pulling, you know, especially with your leaders. We, we, I didn't have captains. Um, I'll, you know, the longer I did it, the less I got away from doing captains. But we had a leadership team that met weekly. And I kind of felt like it was more valuable to have people with different strengths and and uh, so we would have a leadership team that would be comprised of somewhere between four and six players. Uh, could have been more, but 
you know, that would be in charge of different elements of our, each one of them would be in charge of different elements of our program. And I would, I would put a lot of the onus on them. So like, I remember one time, unfortunately I, I had to let a senior go one year in the middle of the year in December. And it, it was a really hard thing to do. Um, but it was something that, that I kind of held, I kind of encouraged them to, or I, I, I allowed them to help make that decision, you know? Um, and if they had told me, Hey, we just don't think that's right. Then we would have kept him. But we, we went through a, a very rigorous process to, to define what was best for our team and our culture and stuff like that. And even though this kid was, a, was a good kid and, was uh, good friends with a lot of guys on that leadership team. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what's the most important thing? You know? Right. So, um, so I think just I, hopefully that's – I know it's a long-winded answer, but hopefully that answer is kind of what you're saying. No, that's good. And I think over my years of coaching, I've uh, gone from thinking you know it all to ask kids a question, admit when you're wrong, give them some say with some things in the program. But I've, I've been like you. It's been a – heated time of the game, you call a timeout and, hey, what are you guys feeling out there? You're in the heat of the moment. You think we should go, you know, match up, that we should pick up, like, and, and let their feedback kind of maybe guide you to, to where they're on the moment and also even making small decisions about, um, you know, where to eat or have them talk about game day attire. I think all that gives them a sense of ownership instead mm-hmm. of just being told everything they're, that they're going to do because that's not a fun environment to be in for adults or kids. Yeah, I mean, you think about even as you're coaching your staff, you think about like you, you know, when you were an assistant, and we've all worked for different guys. Maybe you had some guys who were really good at, at giving you ownership to things, and you probably had some guys you worked for that just said, "Hey, you're going to do this, 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 and this," and then report back to me. And think about how different it felt in those two environments, you know. And it's no different for players. I don't, I don't think, you know. I mean, like if you, like if uh, if they're going to tell you, if they're going to put their neck on the line and say, "Hey, we think we need to do this." then you better believe they're going to do everything they can to make sure to prove you, uh, to prove you that they were right. You know, absolutely. Um, There's some value there. And I think the best teams are always player led teams, not coach led teams. No, you're right about that. If the coach is making every decision from day one to the last day of the season, it's, it's not a very good culture. And a lot of the players are probably not going to enjoy that you may have a high turnover on staff. You want to all have some ownership and also be empowered by the leadership of, of the team. But, well, Kevin, man, you you dove into a lot here, uh, and I appreciate you being open and transparent with what you believe and why you believe it. So, Kevin, before we let you go, are there any good books that you're reading? Because you definitely sound like a guy who uh, had his, has his face in the book all the time. Yeah, uh, you know, two books that I'm reading right now that I really enjoy, um, Mindset, by Carol Dweck um, and uh, Make Time by Jake Knapp and John Zaratsky. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Uh, you know, mindsets obviously, you know, about, uh, you know, fixed mindsets versus, uh, you know, an open mindset um, and just kind of how you process things and how you choose to, uh, you know, pursue your, your goals and things. Uh, make Time is kind of a unique one that a friend of mine, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, Rob Jones passed on to me. Uh, it's just kind of uh, a bunch of different things on how to make your, uh, how to create more time for yourself, 
eliminate distractions, you know, trying to be more yeah. efficient and things of that nature. Uh, so, you know, I, I do love to read, you know, some of my favorite books of all time or uh, probably my favorite book of all time is The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Um It's just kind of, he has a bunch of fables and a bunch of, you know, smaller books, uh, you know, that maybe you've heard of like the five dysfunctions of a team and the five temptations yeah. of a CEO and the four, uh, obsessions of an extraordinary executive and one of my other favorites that he has is called uh, death by meeting uh, if you're a leader um, he has some really good insights on on how to structure and organize meetings uh, in a way that uh, won't make them seem so uh, dreadful you know so yeah that that reminds me of the thomas soul uh, a quote the economist who said anyone who loves meetings should not be in charge of meetings <laughs> I hear you. Just a classic quote he has. Yeah. yeah, and I know we both love Atomic Habits, yep. and we love James James Clear's newsletter and stuff he puts out as well. Yeah, I just, I just finished reading that one, you know, probably about a month ago or so, and that was one of the most impactful books that I've ever read, and probably the most impactful book in terms of while I was reading it, having the biggest impact on me. You know, it, it it's really, you know, with all the time that we've had, it's given me a great opportunity to – really improve some uh, some habits of mine and, and allow me to uh, you know structure my days in certain ways and be a lot more efficient that's that's really one of my favorite books I've ever read probably top two or three honestly oh absolutely yeah. so when you read Kevin are you taking notes as you go along Are you writing all in the book and on the margins or how, what's your yeah. how do you do no, that? I, I do all uh, I guess ebooks or, or electronic books either through you know, iBooks or Kindle. And the reason I do that mm -hmm. is because I want to be able to highlight. Uh, I have like different uh, color codes or whatever when I highlight things, depending on importance level for me or how I want to reference them. And then I have, uh, um, and, and then I like to be able to export those notes into, some, into you know, a software that I use called Evernote um, that kind of helps me keep everything organized. And that way I can reference back to them quickly or, uh, you know, send them out to, to people that I care about or whatnot or, or trying to help or, or things of that nature. So, um, you know, I, I read twice a day. I read, you know, uh, I read in the morning and then the last thing I do before I go to bed, I try to read. So it's just, um, you know, the, the this opportunity and this time we've had now is, is allowed me to get into a really good routine with that when you're when you're pouring 40 hours into a scouting report, it gets a little, little bit harder, you know, but Right. But it is something that I think that all, you know, we, we've all got to be lifelong learners. And I just think that reading is such a, a tremendously large part of that. No, absolutely. Since we've had all this downtime, I mean, I'm reading a lot more, listening to more podcasts. And I tell you, I'll go, you know, some days not even really turn the TV on much at all, just because there's so much more I can gain from a great podcast or sitting down and reading for 15 or 20 minutes. And I do like the idea uh, of the Kindle and you can send the notes because I think part of the problem is, like for me, I may read, put notes in my phone, jot them on paper, but before you know it, you've got a little bit of scatter all over the place. So that that's a good goal of mine to be more organized with the information I get. Because um, when you're reading, you know, two, three, maybe books a month or so, it's hard to retain all that information right. and remember exactly um, where it came from. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I have a little little system for myself. I, you know, uh, in in the morning time. But, I try to, I kind of, when people send me things or I read things on newsletters or websites or, or whatever, I kind of have this 
online notebook or whatever that I throw them all into. And then I try to read a certain amount of articles a day and watch, uh, I try to read at least one article a day, uh, watch one sort of YouTube or inspirational video a day and then read twice a day. Yeah, no, that's good. It's good to have those habits. And again, now's the time in these last few months to make sure we build these habits at the time we cement them in our schedule. And again, James Clear talks a lot about how to do these, build these habits where they become, you know, lifelong habits and not just something you do for a week or two. And then they kind of fade off and he gives a lot of great points on how to do that. But, uh, well, Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on and sharing all your thoughts about culture and leadership and the experiences uh, where you've been coaching high school division two head coach and now at Lipscomb. I, I really appreciate it. And again, we look for, forward to following uh, Lipscomb this fall and, and cheering you guys on to hopefully another really successful season. Well, thank you for the opportunity. This has been a blast and uh, just always enjoy connecting with you, Matt, and appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. You may also use the hashtag United Podcast to tweet out any tips that you learned from today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.